Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. I am Dr. Jimmy Christman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week, I want to bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, and professors of theater education that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 30 of Fed Talks. I'm Jimmy Crisman, your host, and I am excited to bring you a fantastic interview today. It is a very special interview for me because I am interviewing one of my former students who I taught in high school, and then I taught him again in college, um, and now he is a high school theater teacher in South Carolina. Um, Jonathan Long is a very special, special place in my heart because he is my first student to go on to do theater education. So I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. He brings you lots of great ideas for fundraising, um, why he's a performer still, and uh, how how we work with our kids during challenging times. So I know you're not going to want to miss that. I know we're all dealing with some crazy things right now still with the COVID-19, but just know that you are loved, you are appreciated, and uh, you're not only from me, but your students and the parents of your kids as well. So keep doing the great things you're doing. Keep bringing them great lessons online and keep interacting with them uh, and helping keep them positive. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this conversation in just a moment with Jonathan. I've been producing my podcast for nearly a year now, and I've been focused on creating a great product just for you teachers and students. Now that I feel pretty confident with the format and the episodes I'm putting out, I wanted to find ways to make money with the podcast. I found an easy way to do just that with Podcorn. I simply went online to podcorn.com, created an account, scrolled through their list of potential show sponsors, submitted a pitch, and boom, the next day I had a sponsor for this episode right here. This sounds too good to be true, but it works. So teachers, if you're looking at utilizing podcasting in your classrooms, you and your students can easily create content, put it out in the world, raise the bar and the stakes of the student work, and your students can even research how to make money with the podcasts they create. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities such as host read ads like this, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure that you're protected and compensated for the work you do for brands. The Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when we monetize. Click the link in my show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. I'm excited to welcome to Fed Talks this morning, Jonathan Long. Uh, he is a high school teacher at Palmetto High School, and um, I'm sure it's going to eventually pop out in our interview, Jonathan, but Jonathan was one of my high school students, um, my, actually the only high school student I've had that has gone on to major in theater education. So Jonathan, whether he I want to admit it to him or not, is pretty special to me, and uh, <laughs> I, I think very highly of him, so I'm excited to have him on finally, because I know... Uh, He's hinted several times he's wanted to be on here, and I've wanted to have him on, so now the time has finally worked out. So, Jonathan, welcome to to Thed Talks, and just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your Spark Notes journey to how we got to where we are right now. <laughs> um, like you said, my name's Jonathan. I am a fifth-year teacher at Pimento High School. I've actually worked at two high schools. Um, this is my second year at my current school. Um, <clears throat> I, gosh started performing when I was in like fifth grade and never really thought I was going to make 
it, my life and then <laughs> got towards high school and realized I didn't really want to do anything else and then kind of decided, yeah, I want to teach it. So ended up here. Um, yeah, my, my background is mostly in performing, but um, learned how to do a lot of building through working with my stepfather growing up. So I do a lot of the tech stuff as well. I was kind of a technical specialist at my first school and now I'm everything as most high school theater <laughs> teachers are. Well, so. uh, tell us a little bit about your program right now at Palmetto and, and kind of what you've got going on right now. Um, I currently work at a program that is relatively small. Um, my home school is around 900 to a thousand kids, somewhere in between there. Um, my program at, on a good day has maybe 30, 40 kids working in it, which is pretty big for the size of school we have. Um, but we are currently working on um, the musical Xanadu. We just got done with a, a one-act play called De Profundis. And in the fall, we did a production of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Um, to be a small school and a new program, the program is on its fifth year. Um, we've been really successful in the past. We recently got selected last spring to go and represent the state of South Carolina at the International Theater Festival in Nebraska that year. Um, and it was a really good experience. We got to represent the state in front of people from all over the world, not even just the country. Um, so to be a small new program, we've been pretty successful over these last few years. Um, but yeah, you've done some ambitious shows then at least this, this year alone with curious <laughs> incident and then they profundus is not a small one. And then now Xanadu, I, I just need to know what possessed you to do Xanadu. Um, honestly, I saw it at ITF. And our program is really girl heavy, um, as a lot of programs tend to to be um, in high school. And it's a girl heavy show. And I have a lot of really strong female performers. And I have some really strong male performers, just not in the abundance that I do with females. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I made a decision that, you know, the roller skating part, we'll, we'll figure out. Um, <laughs> but I think we have everything else that we need for this show. So... And also, I think it's really funny and really silly. And the rest of my season was a little more serious. Yeah. And so I wanted to balance my season out a little bit, um, especially coming off of a show like Day Performance, which was murder heavy. Um, I want to do something that was light and silly and fun. So, yeah. Well, I, I'm curious to know um, where your where your desire to, to be a theater teacher came from and, and just kind of how that came about. And I, I know a little bit of your backstory and I know, um, uh, yeah, your parents were a little nervous about you going into <laughs> it. Um, but I, I know they're very proud of you now and, uh, they were then, but they're, they're, they're happy to see you happy. So tell me a little bit about kind of where that came from and because you studied at Winthrop and yes. I was also one of your professors there during your senior year. So this is, this is a really cool relationship for those of you listening. I'm really excited to hear the story. So talk to me, Jonathan. Um, okay. So like I said, I started performing in fifth grade and I kept doing it through middle school and high school. And, you know, I went through the whole, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a nurse. And I was kind of settled on being a nurse and I realized that it's just, I feel like it would get old for me. Um, and I kind of went through this crisis of, I don't know what I want to do. Um, but I knew the thing that was most fulfilling to me was when I was performing or when I was working on a show in any way, shape or form. And, you know, I kind of had some conversations with you, Jimmy, and 
you know, you said that you think that, you know, maybe teaching is something I should look at. And I realized that when I was in elementary and middle school, I did a lot of kind of tutoring for younger kids and realized that I was having a lot of fun with that and never really put two and two together that I could teach the thing that was most fulfilling to me. Um, and so you kind of helped point me in that direction. And then I realized that, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, there really, like I said, there isn't anything else I want to be doing um, besides working on theater and, and teaching it because teaching theater is such a weird experience because I get to do the directing aspect of it. I get to do the technical aspect of it. I get to do the, the planning aspect of it that a lot of people don't really understand. It's actually quite fun, but also very, very challenging. Um, and sometimes I get to find times to perform in the middle of all this, which is really nice because I get to do this big, well-rounded um, set of things that if I had went into a different career path, I may have never touched again. So, and it, well, it sounds like cause I did. I don't think I knew about the the interest in nursing, um, <laughs> but it sounds like yeah. there there was always a part of you that just there was a caretaker, and and you wanted to to. It, your students may 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 not realize that what a big giant teddy bear and softy you are, um, and I I, I no, know that that's I think true, they but do. I think that's interesting. Um, I really think they do. At first, they might think that oh, this big six foot two bald bearded man is a little intimidating, <laughs> um, but when we have a conversation about things, and they realize that I'm here to listen ninety percent of the time and here to tell you what to do the other ten. Uh, <laughs> that. I'm really, I really am a, a softy at heart and I'm willing to have those conversations that, you know, maybe other people would check out on. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, thinking to your students now, um, what, what do you, what do you see as the greatest need that they have right now that we as theater teachers can help them with? Um, that's, that's a hard question because I think it's a case by case need, but I think that um, a blanket need that all my students seem to really require and, and I guess for lack of better phrasing desire is just someone to listen, mm -hmm. someone to care, um, someone that knows when to put the school stuff and the after school stuff aside and just listen to them as a person. Um, kids and, and, and people in general are very emotional and are very, they're very seeking of acceptance. Um, and so just knowing that they have someone they can go to in those situations is a really strong start in building the relationships that teachers and students need. Um, to be successful, especially in a program like theater where you're working with them so intimately and so um, so heavily, especially after school and even in classroom scene settings, you're asking them to put themselves out there. And so they don't get this kind of release in a math class sometimes because it's very by the books, by the numbers, pun intended. Um, <laughs> but in, in theater, it, it's very, I need you to bear this emotion. And then you realize that these kids, they have all these experiences that no one gets, no, no one will prompt them to talk about. And so just having someone to have those conversations with, I think is, is one of the biggest things that arts educators in general can provide in school. So, 
I know you you started um, at, at one school and and you left a very big, very wonderful, thriving <laughs> program um, for a much smaller program uh, where you were the only one you you were the only teacher. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the, the the differences in those experiences and what you took away from those and and I guess kind of the why of where you are where you are now. Um, yeah, so I started at a program that's at least double the size of the program that I'm in now. Oh, at least. Um, <laughs> at least. Uh, they're upwards of 2,000 students um, and financially in a much better place than my program is now. Um, you know, my first year teaching, me and the co-teacher at the time spent, I think the final numbers were they spent like 20-something thousand dollars on Trek. <laughs> um, and... Now I'm at a place where my budget at the beginning of the year is six grand. Um, I get that every year, but that's all I get. And then everything else is up to me. Um, luckily, I have a pageant that I run at the school that benefits my program directly, and it kind of doubles my budget for the year. Um, but the experiences are very different. Uh, I was never the only teacher at my first school, and it's got its ups and downs, but I will say beneficially, it, it really helped handle some of the workload. Um, I didn't feel as if I was getting overwhelmed as often, um, which I'm learning to balance that now by myself anyway. Um, but it was, it's much easier to get overwhelmed, especially I learned this my first year at my new school. Um, whenever you're working by yourself, um, there's a little bit of creative freedom in working by yourself. You, you get to, you know, say, okay, this is my decision. What do I want to do? And you don't have to run it by anyone. Um, but again, that second set of eyes is also beneficial because it's like, sometimes you get clouded in your judgment on what you should and shouldn't do as, you know, leading a program. And it's nice to have someone to balance, to bounce back on and say, Hey, what is your opinion on this? Um, that, and, and they will have a mutual understanding of what it means for the program and why it's, why it could be su successful or detrimental to the program. Um, so it, it's, it's a balancing act in, in they're very, very different experiences. And I am grateful for my first experience um, working with someone else. I actually worked with one teacher and then he left and then had another coworker um, my last two years and working with, with two other teachers throughout that three years uh, span of time really taught me a lot. It, it taught me, you know, the, the way that different people direct, the way that different people lead a program, um, the way that, you know, different people interact with their students. And it really helped me kind of find my teaching persona throughout the middle of all that. Um, so I was really, really grateful for my time spent at my first school. And now that I'm at Palmetto, um, I, I, I kind of get to take those lessons that I learned my first three years and apply them and build a program in a way that I think fits my teaching style, my teaching personality and my overall personality as well. So, yeah. Well, and you, you, you're not, you don't lock yourself into being the only person there. Cause I know you bring in guest artists yes, um, I do. to, to come and work with your kids. Um, and I think that's fantastic. Um, I wish I had done more of that um, when I was teaching outside of just bringing in a choreographer for the musical. Um, yes. so what, what is that like for you and what do you, what do you think are the benefits and, and things that your kids get from that? You know, it, it's funny cause I had a conversation with some of my students the other day and 
I was telling them, was, uh, I, I know where my weaknesses are as an educator and I know where my weaknesses are as a theater professional. And I'm not, I'm not above saying, okay, I need to step back and let someone else have a hand in this because I want what's best for their production or for the program or for whatever we're working on at the time. Um, and so it, it's, it's a really cool experience to watch your kids get someone else in there and, and learn from them as well. Um, Cause it's like, Oh, so they're susceptible to learning from other people and not just me. And, and they get to grow and maybe they can become better at things that I'm not as good at from this. And then I can lean back on them to help me mm-hmm. um, because really when I'm building this program, I'm, or when I'm running this program that was had the skeletons built when I got there, I, I, I got this chance to see all these kids that had left that I'd had no hand in working with. And, you know, I've invited some of them back to work with my students. Um, I invited personal friends that I know are more talented at certain things than I am to work with my students. And so the sense of community, especially with the graduates and the kids that are there that are about to graduate and even people that have had no say in the program, the sense of community you build with bringing in guest artists is really interesting because, you know, I have people that helped with some of my productions or with some of my classes that still contact me and say, Hey, how's everything going? Mm. You know, I'm, I really had a great time working with your kids. If you ever get a chance to let me work with them again, I'd love to. Um, so they're now part of this community. And so I, I see no harm in building the biggest community you can while teaching. Um, and like I said, as my kids graduate and they go on to study, whatever they're going to study, especially, um, those that are interested in continuing this for a living, I'll be more than happy to bring those kids back to teach things that I know that they've gotten better at than me. Um, I, I'm not going to be the best at everything and that's completely okay. Um, and I, I do think that my first job, um, kind of set me up to understand that, but also some of the work I did in college did too. Um, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, theater teachers tend to forget sometimes. It's like, we have to do it all. We have to do it all. You don't have to do it all. It's okay to ask other people. So I am really happy to hear that you've, you've learned that and you see the, the value in that. Cause I, I will be very honest when you were, um, when you were in high school still, and uh, we, we were talking about you going into theater education, that was honestly one of my worries and concerns for you. Um, <laughs> I think part of it, because I just I, I I knew who you were at that time, and you you did like to be in control. You did like to 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 have the consistency of I know this is going to happen. I'm the one who's handling this. I'm I will take the reins and make sure it happens. Um, but you also had. Um, a pretty horrible model in me uh, where I was a control freak and I didn't like to let people um, step in and do things. Um, so I'm really happy to hear that you, that's where you are now and, and you see the value in that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lesson that I think the earlier you learn it, the better. <laughs> um, because if you wait too long, you'll, you'll run yourself crazy doing all this stuff that, you don't realize is part of running a program. I mean, the front of house stuff that 
is so easy to put off to the last minute when it comes to ticket sales or all that kind of stuff. It's so easy to forget about that. And the marketing aspect of, of a high school theater teacher is so hard to keep up with. And I'm my wife, she runs all that for me. I mean, I'll check in and I'll do some of it here and there, but like, she's better at it than I am. And <laughs> she's part of this community and this family that I have at my school. And, and she does great at it. I, you know, I loosened the reins and said, here, you can have the Instagram if you want, run whatever you want. You can have the Facebook, run whatever you want. Um, how do you want the front of house set up? Because you're going to run it cleaner than I am. And so the day of the show, all I have to worry about is making sure everything's there and she'll run the front of house. Um, I don't have to worry about whether or not we've been advertising it on Facebook and Instagram because she does it. Yeah. Um, and it, like I said, it's so easy to forget some of that stuff. Well, I think it's also a fantastic model for your students um, to see that you're you're learning from these other people that you're bringing in. You 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 are modeling the the process of collaboration with them, and and yes. like you said, you're bringing in that sense of community so that they see all the different working parts, and that one person can't can't do all that. Yeah, and, and theater is this ever changing. Um, entity right now um, there's always technical advancements that are going on that are kind of changing the way that people are producing and doing shows and so eventually if you if you're not learning throughout this whole process your methods can become outdated um, you know right now projections seem to be the new thing in theater and a lot of people are so hesitant to use them and so hesitant to learn about them um, because they don't like them. They don't like the way they look. They don't like the way that you have to do certain things. Um, but there's no harm in getting someone that knows those things to teach you about it because eventually it'll be something that will be in everyday theatrical use. Um, I mean, yeah, you'll still have your fringe theater kind of stuff that doesn't use that kind of thing, but you know, there's no harm in learning about moving lights. There's no harm in learning about projections. There's no harm in learning about whatever new technique is coming. And so having a group of people around you that are better at things than you are can just make you a better educator and make you a better director. So, um, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about your, um, your your fundraising that you do because I know you've had some really successful um, campaigns on social media. Um, you you've gotten some things that your kids need through some really interesting fundraising. Yes, um, opportunities. So can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I would recommend donors choose to anyone. Um, I use donors choose to get a lot of things that my program needed. Um, so when I first got to my school, we had the school that I'm at now, we had nine lights to light our entire space. We had three on the catwalk, six on the stage. Hmm. Um, and so my chorus teacher and I decided, okay, we'll both go in on a donor's shoes. He'll do some, um, he'll, he'll do half of this lighting set we needed and I'll do the other half. And they were all bar lights, which were really great for psych lighting and stuff like that. Um, and that was the first donor's shoes I'd ever done. And I got it funded within two or three weeks. Um, so we got, think six more lights and then the school bought the last three there three or four that we needed um because they saw that we had you know done the the front work I'm like okay you guys put in your effort we'll finish it out 
Um, and then the second thing was a table saw. We had no table saw to build set pieces with. We were using a circular saw or a hand saw the whole time. Um, and I put in an ambitious fundraiser for this $4,000 table saw that I thought, you know, I'm just putting it out there. If it happens, it happens. Um, if it doesn't, it doesn't, it's no big deal. <clears throat> and a random anonymous arts donor funded the last two grand of it. Wow. And we got a table saw. Um, and then our last donors choose project, we had no headsets to talk from the booth to backstage. Um, you know, I put in a donor's shoes, just kind of hoping it wasn't that expensive. So I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll get it within the month. I think I got it within a week and a half. Hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's a really great resource, uh, for anyone that needs, um, the financial help without having a large community around you. Um, the community I live in is or the community I work in right now is very, very small. Um, there's not a lot of big businesses around. Um, I'd have to go, you know, 20, 30 minutes down the road to hit the big businesses. And so it's not as enticing for them to donate whenever they're 30 minutes away. Um, so I do have to reach outside of my community to kind of get things that I need. Um, so those are some of the big things that we've done. Um, and then just fundraisers at the school. I, I never thought I would run a pageant in my life. Um, <laughs> it was not something I was interested in. But when you start to understand the merit of a pageant, not only financially for your program, but also scholarship wise for the girls that are involved, you understand that, okay, yes, pageants seem like an outdated system at times, but they're changing. And it, it's more about how much they can help the girl involved. And if a girl wants to put herself out there and do that kind of thing, it can be very empowering for them. So I had to kind of change my perspective on a pageant. Um, because again, I never thought that they were as supportive of those involved. Um, and I would never do a fundraiser that I didn't believe was at least a positive impact for those that are working on it. Um, but when I realized how much a pageant is beneficial to the girls and how much the girls wanted to do it. I was like, okay, then I guess I'll, I'll, you know, become part of this pageant world. And now we're raising eight grand for the theater program through a pageant that also helps the girls involved. So I don't see any harm in a fundraiser like that. Um, but also you have to, you, your, your students have to be willing to do some of the grunt work as well. Um, it's so much easier for a business to turn an adult down and it's way harder for them to turn a student coming saying, Hey, we're working really hard on this program and I need your help. Um, you get a, a high school student out there doing that. You're more inclined to, or the, the business is more inclined to, to help you. So there's so many different types of fundraising, online fundraising, on the ground fundraising, um, event fundraising. And so you have to mix up your fundraising portfolio for lack of a better phrase. Well, is your, the, the pageant that you do, is it linked to any kind of um, pageant network outside of your school or is it just a school-based um, pageant? Right now it's just school-based, uh, but we run it as if it's linked to Miss America. Hmm. Um, and so if we wanted to, we could take the girl that wins that pageant. And we always ask if they want to, there's some, some stuff that they have to do if they want to after that fact. Mm -hmm. um, but they're allowed to take that to Miss America as what they call at large. 
Um, but it, it, it's, it's something that can lead into it. Um, and I learned all this because I work on another pageant or I've been working on another pageant board in the past. Um, so it, it's got some some bumps and hiccups because we're a high school pageant, but there is an opportunity for them to take this the the winner of our pageant into the Miss America Teen Organization, um, or sorry, Miss America Outstanding Teen Organization, and do stuff there and win scholarship money at that level. Yeah, because you're you're I know you're connected with Harry Culpepper. Um, I am. Who's like pageant king of the South down there. <laughs> um, and, and he runs a really successful pageant program and he does all kinds of things all over the Southeast and all yes. over. But um, that's re- it's really cool. Um, and it's a very significant fundraiser, eight eight grand. Yes. That's it's awesome. more than my starting budget. That's awesome. Um, so, and, and last year was a little hard because of ITF. Um, all the pageant money we raised had to go into us going there. Cause that was like a 20 plus thousand dollar field trip. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really get to see any of the benefits of our pageant on the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we're not going to ITF. We're going to try to make it an every other year kind of thing. Cause ITF was one of the best experiences I've ever had as an educator. Um, so we're trying to balance that out, but I'll get a little bit more of the benefits of the pageant next year as well, starting with a bigger budget than what I started with this year. So that's awesome. Uh, now I know you are also involved in uh, your community still as a performer. Um, yes. Talk to me about that and why, why that's important to you. So I would taken three or four years off from performing mainly just to focus on teaching. And within the last year, year and a half, um, I've gotten back into performing and I've been involved with a, a small community theater in the area, um, the market theater company, and I've auditioned for some other things and got offered parts, but couldn't really balance them in my schedule from other theaters. Um, but it's been, it's been crazy. <laughs> um, balancing that time is, is wild because it is, it's a balancing act. I mean, I was directing two shows at the high school, De Profundis and um, Xanadu right now. I was directing both of those at the same time. And I was in rehearsal for Matilda, which I'm still in rehearsal for. Um, so I was I was running pretty thin for a little bit there. Um, and then De Profundis ended and I'm, now I'm still balancing Matilda and Xanadu, which is a little bit easier. Um, but it, it's it's crazy because you realize how much your kids are willing to support you in the things you do as well. Um, my kids come out to, I'll, I'll have a kid at at least two thirds of all my performances. Um, it's really rewarding there. I mean, I have kids that are driving 30, 40 minutes to come see me act and sing. And um, it's really rewarding. Like I said, because it shows that they respect and care about the things you're doing just as much as you respect and care about the things that they're doing. Um, but it's, you have to have a schedule for these things because if not, you'll be eating dinner at 1030, like I am right now. Um, and you won't be going to bed until midnight, waking up at 630 to get ready for work. Um, running, running on both ends there. Um, but it's, it's really fun. Uh, and I don't think I would have got to do this with certain other professions that I was looking into. Um, but the teaching profession does allow me to be able to kind of balance that a little bit easier. So 
Well, talk a little bit about that balance and how you how you have personally worked to to keep that balance and to keep a life outside of your school building and take care of yourself at the same time. Um, you have to make time. You have to create time that doesn't exist. <laughs> um, you have to use your planning that you get as a teacher, um, because if not, you'll run out of time to do the stuff you have to do as an educator. Um, but yeah, you have to find you have to find times in the the crevices of the day that you didn't really know was available. Um, DVR is my friend um, because my wife and I have certain shows we're supposed to watch together and I don't get home till after those shows are over on TV. And so, you know, making a plan, okay, this is what my schedule is for today. I'm going to come home. Um, we're going to spend time together doing this um, is it's pretty important in this, uh, this current state that I'm at because if not, I wouldn't see much of my wife. Um, and also my wife being involved in the program has helped find time for my personal life um, because she's so willing to help and to um, be part of this, like I said, this family that we have at the school um, has helped blend my school family and my family family. Um, and so that, that's another way that we find time to spend time with each other. Um, because spending time with the people you really love and care about outside of the kids that, that I teach every day is it's, it's very important because it'd be so easy to be wrapped up and do nothing but teaching and directing and acting and performing. Um, so luckily I have a spouse that is understanding of that and is willing to be a part of it. Um, so I, I think that that's another way that you can find time is getting your spouse or your loved ones involved. Um, getting your friends involved. That's another way you can spend time with people you care about. Like I said, some of the guest artists I invited in were personal friends of mine and it gave me a chance to see them in a way that I don't really get to see them anymore. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's a unique little balance that you have to get creative with. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about, um, I guess not the not so happy side of what we do. Um, you've you've called in several times and talked with my my method students um over the last two years uh just to talk about some of those those tragedies that happen within your school or or the world and how that impacts your kids um if you don't mind would you be willing to kind of share some of that and 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 talk about that part of our job and how you how you handle that with your students yeah um so it's the it's the really emotionally draining part of my job um, and most educators jobs, um, especially, like I said, and things that require more of a connection with their student than, you know, you'll get in certain situations. Um, but I mean, tragedy is always right around the corner. You never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, we have kids at my school now that have cancer and are fighting cancer and I have kids that know that kid very, very closely. And that is something I have to deal with. And when I say deal with, it sounds like a chore, but it's not, it's something that I have to, I have to understand and be willing to work with. Um, 
I have students that I work that I worked with or currently work with that have, you know, personal health issues at home um, or personal health issues with their body. I mean, when I say at home, I mean like their home situation is a personal health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you have to learn how to turn off the director brain and turn on the human brain that says, okay, I understand you're a person and I understand that as a person you have needs and sometimes those needs outweigh the creative process. Um, those needs outweigh the educational process. Um, I heard a college professor that I had um, at Winthrop, he talked about homework and assignments to get taken home. And he had a phrase that if the home doesn't work, then homework doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I understand what he means by that the more and more I teach. Because sometimes the best release a kid gets is at home. Um, And those are just personal tragedies. When we get into like the national tragedies that happen in the world, um, there's always this this weird fear that whatever just happened could happen at our school. Um, My second or third year teaching, there was a school shooting at an elementary school, not too far from where I was teaching at at the time. And I mean, when I say not too far, I mean within 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and the kids were scared. They were terrified. You know, it's like, that could have been us that very well could have happened here. Um, and then, you know, there was the, the shooting in Florida that happened while I was teaching at my first school as well. Um, and, the kids wanted to make a stand and they wanted to have their voices heard. And you have to, again, you have to balance the two of, okay, I'm a professional, I'm an educator, but these kids are grieving and they're scared and they're worried and they are in fear and they want people to understand that, Hey, we want some things to change here because we don't think maybe this is the safest environment. You know, if, if this were to happen here, what would happen to us? And they don't know. Um, and so again, you have to find this in between of, okay, my curriculum and my responsibilities as a leader of a program come first versus my responsibilities as a human and as a caring individual comes first. And Maybe sometimes I check off the, or I, I turn off the, the teacher director brain a little more than other teachers because of how emotionally driven I am and how emotional my kids can become. But I would much rather have it that way than whenever they need someone to say, this is what we're worried about. Or this is what we're scared of. Um, staying in that, that, teacher director brain and not listening and not letting them express the, themselves and their fears and their worries and their desires. So I, I think sometimes the, the, our life is the best curriculum sometimes. And sometimes life has to be the curriculum. Um, Cause I remember I, it was my second year of teaching uh, on nine 11 um, and uh, a student came in 
in my second block after during the class change and asked if we could turn on the TV. Um, something was going on in New York, and I was like, of course. So turned it on, and then we watched the day unfold before us, and my principal eventually came on intercom and said, teachers, turn your TVs off and get back to class. And I'm like, how do you, how do you get back to class when this is going on? When this is, this is what's consuming their world right now, like literally their personal world and then their world at large. Um, and, and you, you can't shut it off. You can't turn it down and, and, and think that we can just continue on as business as normal when it's not. Um, and I, I know, I know your, I know your personal story of, of growing up and, and what led you to when you were at South Point with me. And I think, I think you had a lot of things that prepped you for um, the role that you're now playing. And, and I, I, would, I would agree with that. I think that um, where I came from is part of the reason that I know or I'm more apt and prompt to turn off that... Yeah we have to learn theater today. Yeah. Um, because, and, and this is just me being the creative that I am. Um, sometimes the best artwork comes from tragedy. Mm-hmm. And if all these kids are, are feeling and, and seeing these things unfold and, and they need to process, let them process first. And then let's see what we can do with it. If we have to, um, let's see what we can, you know, come up with as a solution or as a coping mechanism in the classroom. Um, and sometimes you can use the tragedies that are going on in the world and you can teach kids with them. Um, and I'm not saying you use them to create some artwork and profit off of it. I'm saying that you use, what's going on and you can teach them self coping mechanisms through art. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I learned a lot about myself as, as a performer when things were getting a little weird for me. Um, I learned a lot about myself as a performer when I may have not been in the happiest part of my life and it's okay to learn from tragedy. It's okay to learn from, you know, these, these terrible things that happen. Um, it's also okay to honor people through art. Um, as you very well know, I mean, we've, we've seen people pass away Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with coping in a productive way that helps other people that may be going through something similar. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to say at that point, at this point right now that, we we as theater educators have have some tools that are that are therapeutic in nature, um, and that that we we have in our toolbox that we can, in addition to forming, the, in addition to the relationships that we have with our kids, that we have an opportunity to provide a space for them to be able to process, to be able to um, talk through um, and, and be present with each other in a way that I don't think other teachers can do. Um, but I think it's important to also remember that we're, we're not therapists. Um, we, we, there are people who are trained for that. That is, that is very true. It is so easy to be wrapped up in this, this world and be taken into as a, a therapist. I have kids that come to me about problems that I can't handle, um, that I don't know the right answers to. Right. Um, 
and it it's sometimes it's heartbreaking to have to lead them away from you into the people that can help. But in the long run, you have to understand that, Hey, I'm only as trained as the professional developments I've been to um, or the, the collegiate classes I've taken or the experiences I've witnessed. Um, but also you're a mandatory reporter on certain issues and, you know, a kid comes to you and they tell you about not wanting to live or about, you know, abuse at home or whatever. And you can be therapeutic and, and therapist like for them for a little bit, but as a professional, you have to lead them to the people that are meant to help them. Um, and I remember my first instance as a mandatory reporter, I was, I was heartbroken because they didn't want me to tell someone, but I also knew that if something went down and they went home that night and didn't come back the next day, I would never be able to wake up and teach the same way again. So. Well, I think in those moments, whether the, the, the student realizes it or not, they're, they are, they are wanting, they'll, they'll never say it in the moment, but they're wanting someone to get them help. Yes. Yeah. And, and they, they may, they may resent you for a few minutes or a few moments or a few days or weeks or whatever, um, because they don't understand that what they were doing was to push them to get help. Um, and they may be upset with you because you broke their trust and I'm using air quotes there. Mm -hmm. um, but they trusted that information with you because they knew that you're the person that they think is going to put them where they need to be. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, it's this understanding of your responsibilities as an educator and also what is best for the student that's coming to you with whatever event is going on with their life. Yeah. And I like to tell my, my ed majors now that sometimes the best, help you can be for that kid is to get them better help in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Without a doubt. Yeah. And like, there's certain things that, yeah, you're completely capable of dealing with without going into getting better help. Um, like I get kids coming to me about relationship problems and how they're so upset about that. Like it's, you know, it, that's, that's something I can deal with. That's something I'm legally able to handle. And that's something that I don't think I should have to go to someone else for. Um, there's certain home situations, you know, where a parent may, have said something or done something that makes a kid feel incompetent or less than that isn't necessarily abuse by any means. Um, and it may just be a misunderstanding and I'm completely capable of dealing with that, but there are certain, there's, there's a, there's a line that's drawn and I know when we start towing that line and then I know when we cross that line and I know that there's this area that I'm, I have to get them help right now yeah. um i can't leave them alone right now i have to take them immediately somewhere um and my school district has done a great job because they know how emotionally open kids in in my field are um they have sent me to mental health first aid training um i'm about to go to another mental health first aid training of sorts in the spring you know barring everything being closed down um but I, I will be getting more and more training on, okay, when is that line crossed? And what do we do as professionals and educators? 
Um, and it's, it's been really great because I've learned a ton because of those trainings. Um, and I'm excited to continue to learn because I want to be the best safe zone for my kids and whatever that means. Yeah. Well, let's, let's shift gears just a little bit, possibly, maybe, no, I don't know. Uh, but I want to hear a couple of your favorite stories from your career so far. Um, it can be <laughs> funny stories, horror stories, most impactful, meaningful moments. Just yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's nothing like the, the first show you direct. Um, mm. That was really, really wonderful for me. My first show was uh, Peter and the Starcatcher. Um, that was the first show I directed in my high school, which was it's a very hard piece, if you didn't know. Oh, yeah. um, um, but I directed that, and that that always has a special place in my heart. Um, you know, because it's just it's the first time you get to work with students and the way that I guess got me into what I'm doing. Um, and then also my, my first musical was a wonderful experience for me. Um, I, I, I started with You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Um, and yes, it's this silly, fluffy story, but also it is, it, it's got a special place in my heart because I get to see something that I worked on when I was in high school done in a way that I like it, in a way that I'm proud of. Um, and it's all something that I created with a group of kids that, you know, I, I got to know personally. Um, I can I can literally go back and every performance I've done has meant so much to me with these kids. I mean, my festival my festival performances, I took a kid that's never acted before and put him in Bang Bang Your Dead as the lead, and I saw how much he could grow. I mean, he was this nice, quiet little boy that you know, no one expected had that kind of energy in him. And I saw him be someone else. And that was so rewarding. Um, and then my last show at my first school, and right now I'm literally just talking about my first school um, with Scooter Thomas makes it to the top of the world. I saw two kids who were best friends that fell out and became best friends again to the run of a show. Um, that was so wonderful to me because I had similar experiences in high school. Um, and now that I'm at my new school, I started at my new school with a piece that was very challenging for these kids. Um, we did a production of a show called you who and Hank Williams, which deals with domestic violence and, and you know, what can happen if help isn't reached and they pushed the limits so hard with what high school theater is. Um, I brought in someone to help me with, with fight choreo to make the fight choreo this wonderful artistic piece. I had someone live score the show and then submit the music. And we used a completely original soundtrack um, to kind of go underneath and, and soundscape the show. And that was so rewarding because it was this creative family that we made in one show. Um, and then you know, we come out of Spelling Bee and we do 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. And I have people say, wow, this is one of the best shows I've ever seen at this new school that I'm at. And they're like, you know, I don't know how you're going to top this because this was hilarious. And I pushed some limits with that um, because I'm in a conservative area and that show has some non-conservative things in it. Um, you know, and, and no one batted an eye at it. They all appreciate it. They all, 
seem to be okay with it. And I've continued to do that this year. Um, got a boy that was my lead in both my one acts that was a sound boy, had never been on stage except for the summer before he did a Shakespeare um, groups, uh, two shows in the, the park. And um, one show he had no lines and the other show he was a, a minor character. And for both of my one acts, he was the lead. And the compliments and the standing ovation he got at festivals were worth every second of putting him out of his comfort zone and making him play these well-rounded psychological characters. Um, and I'm continuing to do that now with Xanadu. I'm getting kids that have never performed before. And I think that's the most rewarding thing is watching how much your kids grow in a production or in a classroom um, and the friendships that you help make because you make people that may have never worked with one another work side by side. I think that there's so much merit in bringing these people from opposite ends of the world together in terms of the, you know, the economic or the social status or whatever. Um, so I, I think that just the way you see your kids change is probably one of the most interesting and rewarding things that I can, I can say has happened to me. And I think will happen to a lot of people that get into the education profession and get into the theater education profession in particular. So, well, and this is where I get to, to, to turn it back on you and, and just remind you that it's because you've provided that space for them to grow and be able to do that. And it's because of the relationships that you've forged with your administration, the parents, the community, and those kids that you're able to push those boundaries a little bit and people trust and, and respect what you're doing. Um, so I think that's a testament to what you've done in those programs and what you've instilled in those kids. You know, it, it's crazy you say that because um, I have a student who I've never worked with before um, that got grounded for some silly stuff. And her mother trusted me enough to say, hey, are you going to actually go see this production that's at another high school? Because if you're going, then I will allow her to go. And I know that's a small thing and it's very, very small to me, but it shows that the parents trusted, okay, if this person's with you, you're going to make decisions that I'm okay with. Hmm. Um, and I think that's very important to me that parents trust me in that aspect. Um, because that means that they put some amount of faith in me as an educator and as a director and as a mentor that I will keep their kids safe and keep their kid making the decisions that are best for them. So, yeah. Well, good job. Well done. <laughs> um, I wanted to know, I've never asked this question. So haha, you're my first. Um, what is your favorite thing to teach? Huh? That's a, that's a hard one. Um, a favorite lesson, a favorite project, whatever. I have a couple of favorites. Um, <clears throat> so the way my, my days set up is I teach, um, three classes a day. And some days I teach tech theater. Some days I teach theater three, four, which is my upper level class. And then every day I have a theater two and a theater one class. Um, so I have a couple of different things that I'm really, really into teaching um, with tech theater. I, I really love sound design, um, which I never thought that it was something I cared as much about <laughs> until I started doing shows. And I was like, man, this sound is great for this moment or man, this song is great 
to open a show with. Um, and so I love teaching sound designs. I recently had my kids um, take movie trailers that had no music beneath them and search the internet and search, you know, their personal libraries and find songs that they think epitomize what's going on in that trailer. Um, and then loop them into the trailer and see which one we personally think the, you know, the original trailer with the music or the trailer that they created with their music is more fitting. And I will say some of the kids, I think, chose better instrumental or better music to go underneath something, um, which shows that my kids understand what music does for um, theater and for performance art and for, you know, film. Um, in my performance-based classes, I love letting students um, direct each other. Um, we're currently working on two shows where I'm directing one and a student's directing another in my three, four class. And I did that because he wants to be a teacher. Um, I let people apply to direct. He was the only one that wanted it. Um, and so I, I think that letting kids self-direct or direct their peers um, is also very rewarding because it's like, okay, these are the tools you have. I'm here to kind of help you, but what can you come up with creatively? Um, and so that's another one of my favorite things to do as a teacher. Um, in terms of like lesson-based stuff, I love teaching about different theater forms. Um, I'm really apt to Augusta Boyle's Theater of the Oppressed, um, which is something that you made me look up when I was in high school and never thought I would enjoy because um, <laughs> it started as a research project. Um, but I, I love teaching people that, you know, theater can be meant for social protest or social commentary. Um, and then in my intro level classes and my lower level classes, the kids may not like it sometimes, but I love letting them or leading them in um, history of, of American theater because American theater has come so far from its beginnings to where we are now. Um, and yeah, it's a longer unit for me to kind of tackle all those issues. Um, but I absolutely adore, you know, kids saying, ah, oh, that's boring. That's boring. That's boring. And then we get to the new stuff. They're like, Oh, how do we get here? Because <laughs> this stuff sounds fun. Um, so I really, I really enjoy that. Um, but also like the most fun thing to teach is improv always. Um, it's so fun to see what kids can come up with off the, off the cuff like that. Um, and that goes with all my classes, except tech theater. Um, I let the, the first thing I start with is improv. Um, and I also really enjoy pantomime with my theater ones. Um, I have a student with autism that really took to pantomime this year. And it reminded me how much fun someone can have if they really commit to pantomime. Um, and it's a really fun unit to teach because it's so abstract for kids that have never performed before. They're like, wait, 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 I'm not going to have a door to open. What do you mean? Or I'm not allowed to have a notebook to pretend to write on. I'm so confused. Um, and just to see their brains kind of flip for a second and be like, wait a minute, this isn't reality. I'm so confused. So that's cool. That's cool. In terms of being a theater teacher, you have to do the stuff that interests you 
Um, I always ask, you know, hey, what show should I direct for this year? What show should, you know, what, what do you recommend? And I'll get people recommended things that are like good, but like if I'm not going to be committed to it, it's so hard to get your kids committed to it. Or if I'm not going to be wholeheartedly interested in it, it's so hard to get your kids interested in it. Um, so you do have to go and, and plan as a teacher with your heart and with, you know, the things that you really care about. Um, I, I've always said that if I ever direct high school musical, I'm selling out (laughs) and I don't, I don't want to sell out. I don't, I don't want to be that kind of person, but if you're committed and you, and you love high school musical and it's something you think that, man, my kids are going to grow with, then do it. Um, if that's your show, if that's the show that, you know, got you into this and you want to see someone perform it, then yeah, go for it. Um, you know, I have bucket list shows that I know when I'm ready to do those shows, I'm going to do them. Um, I'm going to direct them. I'm going to have my students learn from them. Um, so I, I think that being an educator and and working with kids and working with your after after school curriculum stuff, um, sorry, extracurricular stuff, it's very important to have a balance of, okay, what do I have? What are the kids going to want to do? And then what am I also going to be passionate about? And sometimes you have to compromise Like, yes, I'm passionate about this. Maybe it's not my favorite piece, but I can definitely understand that the kids that I have will learn a ton from this. Hmm. Um, and so you have to compromise with that. But I would say, don't ever just do a show just because you need a show to do. Um, just because you think it might sell more tickets, just because you think it might fill up the house um, because it just, it's a way to burn yourself out. If you're doing shows consistently that you're only doing because you think the audience will come see. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose spelling bee. Oh no. What's wrong? It said the internet connection was unstable for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I chose spelling bee my first year at my new school, knowing that, there's a good chance no one will see it. There's a good chance the community will hate it. And because I was passionate about it and because my kids loved it, the community ate it up. Hmm. Um, and so I think that if they see how much it means to you and your students, then they will really appreciate it. So that's that's one thing I would like to say. I appreciate that. It's good to hear. I agree with you. Um, I get my final two questions for you. Um, what is a resource that you are currently using or have used that is a must have for teachers? Okay. Um, when you say resource, uh, I'm going to use that term loosely. Please. Um, <laughs> um, Ed TA and the international thespian uh, organization with the festival. I think that that is one of the best resources I've ever used. Um, they have all kinds of stuff on their website. Um, and also going to ITF as a resource is something you should do um, because I learned so much from being at that festival that it was probably the best resource I've ever had. Um, and also I'm going to plug donors choose again, because that resource has been ideal for my, my small school. Um, but all, all Ed TA and ITF go together. They're the same organization, um, but definitely if you get a chance to go to ITF, I think it's a great resource as an educator. Um, 
because there's so many people there that you learn from that are willing to help you and be professional resources. Um, I mean, I have access to all kinds of musicals for free that I can look through and peruse and not have to pay for um, because I went to ITF. Um, I, and like there digitally, there's a file that I got because I went to ITF that has all these plays in it that I can read for free. Um, I learned, you know, how to do front of house with digital ticketing because I went to ITF. Um, so please, 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 if you get a chance to go to that, that will be one of your greatest resources because not only will it be an experience resource, you'll get so many people there that are willing to help you throughout the year that all you have to do is send them an email. And, you know, I, I chose Xanadu and I had a resource and another teacher, another teacher from another state because I chose Xanadu and they did it at ITF. And I was like, Hey, how did you do this? And so that interconnecting that you get at ITF and the networking is phenomenal. That's awesome. That's awesome. I know I never, I didn't do much with, um, with the festival. I mean, we had our thespians troop and I definitely utilized the EDTA resources, but I'm glad to hear that, that you've gotten something out of that. And that, that's been oh, so yes. rewarding for you. Um, my final question for you are what are your parting words of wisdom for new teachers or even those veteran teachers who just need a inspirational word right now? Um, my parting words of advice are, and I've said it before, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. Um, it's very important that you ask for help because you can't do it all. And my words of inspiration are, um, that this, this thing that we're doing with these kids, that this, this art that we create, it's important. And even when there's so much going on in the world, when there's, you know, so much going on with your personal life and with these kids' personal life, it's very important what we do. And it's important that we give these kids this outlet. It's important that we get this creative outlet as educators um, because not only are we making better performers and better kids that work on tech or students that, you know, go out to work in this professional world, we're making, we're making better people because it's such a collaborative, creative environment that you have to be willing to learn from other people. And so we're, we're creating this next generation of, of listeners and free thinkers. And I think that it's so easy to forget that what we're doing is important past a production or past a performance. And you don't really understand it until you see someone you've worked with taking the things that you taught them and maybe applying them in something that they're passionate about them isn't theater. And they're like, Hey, yeah, I'm doing this different thing, but I'm so good at it because I know how to listen to what someone else asks of me because you help me be better at that. Um, so yeah, inspirationally, what we do is important. What we do matters. And I guess I'll leave it at that. I mean, what else can you say? I, yeah. And uh, I, I just want to repeat back to you your words that what you do matters. And I tell you as often as I can, and I'm going to tell it now for the whole internet to hear and everyone else that I am so proud of you. And I, I just think that you're doing amazing things with your kids <laughs> and in your life. And I couldn't be prouder. So 
I really, I really appreciate that. That means a lot coming yeah. from you. Oh, well, Jonathan, thank you for talking with me today. I know you've got a lot going on and you've got <laughs> stuff later yeah. on today. So thank you for talking with me. Um, uh, yeah, of course. Anytime. I'm proud of you and I wish you all the best. Thank you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, probably one of my favorite episodes. Uh, can't help but gush and be proud of that. So thank you, Jonathan, for joining me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And as always, I am proud of you. And uh, I love you. And I'm, I'm encouraged by all the great things you're doing with your students. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of Fed Talks. Please, if you are on that extended uh, uh e-learning time you've got some more downtime just like i do so check out those past episodes that you may have missed go back and binge listen if you will huge thanks to podcorn for sponsoring this episode explore sponsorship opportunities and start monetizing your podcast by signing up at podcorn.com slash podcasters if you haven't already please check out our website www.fedtalks.com where you can find all the archives of our past episodes, the show notes, and all the resources from each of the teachers that have been on the podcast. Go on your favorite podcast provider, Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, AnyPod, and tune in. Go on any of those, subscribe to the show so that it just automatically pops up in your podcast app. Rate the shows, leave us some stars, and review us. Tell us what you're liking about the show, and most importantly, share what we're doing with those theater teachers and theater educators in your life who you think could benefit from what we're doing here. Email me at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com if you have show ideas or suggestions for future shows, future guests, or if you'd like to be a guest, fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. I love getting email from all of you. Check us out on all our social media, Twitter at Theater Ed Talks, on Tumblr, fedtalks.tumblr.com. Go to Facebook, Fed Talks, Instagram, Fed Talks Podcast, and of course our website once again is www.fedtalks.com. Thank you, Joel Hamlin and Joshua Schusterman, for the use of your original music, Magnetized, and Flip the Record that you hear on the show. And thank you, teachers. I know it's a crazy time right now, like I've said several times over the last couple episodes, but your kids need you, we need you, and just keep doing amazing things. Check out those Facebook groups, check out online, email me if you want some ideas for some cool things to do with your kids through e-learning. I appreciate you. Thank you and have a great week.